Low down leaving sun Done did everything that needs done Woe is me Why can't I see I'd best be leaving well enough alone Them neon lighting nights Couldn't stay out of fights Keep a haunting me in memories Well there's one in every crowd For crying out loud Why was it always turning out to be me? Where does it go? The good Lord only knows Seems like it was just the other day I was down at Green Gables Hawking them tables And generally blowing all my hard-earned pay Piano rolled blues Danced holes in my shoes There weren't another other way to be For lovable losers No account boozers And honky-tonk heroes like me Oh, welcome to Pausable Deniability, where you can pause and then deny you are ever listening to this show. I'm one of your hosts, David Miller, my partner in crime, lukewarm tall boy himself. That's me, and I'm drinking a still cold tall boy. So by the end of the episode, it will definitely be lukewarm if I haven't finished it off yet. We'll introduce this young man as Bob Bland, but we do like to refer to him as the lukewarm tall boy. That's how you can find him on Twitter. Yes. And Instagram. And and various other sites and got a social promotion, man. Social promotion absolutely, nonstop. Absolutely. Well, Bob, what are we what are we talking about tonight? What's what's kind of our our go-to for this evening? Well, this is kind of a sequel in of sorts to our first episode, which was about your dad. Got a lot of positive feedback about that. More so we than did. any any of the million podcasts I've been involved with and done over the years. That was the one that struck a chord with the listeners. There, so, there was, there has been a lot of good feedback and we want to thank everybody for that. Uh, there was a lot of people that reached out personally and gave me some nice words about my dad and some of the memories that I brought up for them. And so that was, that was really pretty special. Did your brother or aunt or anyone get a chance to listen? No, no family family's out. Family doesn't want to listen to me talk or ramble anymore. That's, I, I definitely got that from my dad. They don't, they don't want to listen to me. Oh, oh, Mike. <laughs> Okay. So uh, my aunt was like, I, I don't know how to work the internet, so I'm not going to. <laughs> and yeah, I actually, I don't know if my brother has or not. What about Melanie, your wife? Did she listen? She did. She did. And she enjoyed it for sure. Good, good. So this is kind of a sequel because we discussed in addition to your dad, because he was in and from Corsicana that Billy Joe Shaver was also from Corsicana. And as it just so happened, we may have inadvertently killed him because he died like either the day after or a couple days after we recorded that episode. Texas music icon and outlaw country trailblazer Billy Joe Shaver died from a stroke in Waco this morning. Shaver helped transform the outlaw country movement in the 1970s. He wrote songs for big names like Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, and Waylon Jennings, among others. Songs like Live Forever and Georgia on a Fast Train helped land him in the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Texas Country Music Hall of Fame. Shaver said as a young boy growing up in Corsicana, he started writing songs about his life. Things happen to me all the time. I don't know why. I guess because I was cut out to, to write songs. 
Javer was 81 years old. I don't want to claim that we killed him. I, I don't take responsibility for that. But yes, that part is true that we did have that discussion and then he did pass away. I mean, it was very similar to the Dunham and Miller, Clarence Clemens <laughs> situation. <laughs> That's very I true. Felt rather culpable, but we want to first off pay loving homage and tribute to the late, great BJS. But one of the biggest hits he ever wrote was a song made famous by Waylon Jennings called Honky Tonk Heroes. And when we were talking about ideas for this show, one of the things you had mentioned was thanks to the pandemic, uh, how a lot of the live music venues, especially some of the smaller ones are really struggling financially because there just aren't shows right now. It's not feasible to do live music in this situation. So that kind of led us down the honky tonk path. Yeah, definitely a lot of places have been struggling. um, And and we're hoping that, uh, you know, there's something coming around the bend for uh, to help people and and get us out of this pandemic that we're in. But you're right. I think the discussion just naturally led into honky tonks and honky tonk heroes from Billy Joe. Yeah. And speaking of the uh, possible solution to the pandemic, uh, one of the two notable potential resolutions is being funded by speaking of country music, Dolly Parton. So we look forward to her vaccine, 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 vaccine. You've been saving that one? Were you, were no, you I stole it from started? Twitter. Somebody posted okay. that in writing on Twitter. I thought I'd actually attempt a semi-karaoke version. Now it is in my head, and I blame <laughs> you for that. So, yeah, that's that's awful and great at the same time. <laughs> Mostly just awful. But uh, yeah, so the vaccine hopefully will get us back to seeing live music uh, at the very latest by this time next year, hopefully uh, sooner than that, because I like me some live music and I know you do too. I do. And, and so we started talking about this. We started putting together a list of some of, some of the places that uh, we wanted to discuss that were memorable, that uh, we've seen some shows or, or, or just memorable venues in and of themselves that may be struggling right now and just wanted to kind of shine a line on it and maybe open some people's eyes and ears to some of the places that they can visit once they're able to get back out into the world. Exactly. Yeah. And there's some that you've been to and love. There's a couple that I grew up very near close by and, and have been to and, and, and love as well. So just now is a good a time as any to kind of talk about them. Absolutely. So whether you call it a honky tonk bar saloon clubs or dance halls those venues for live music and and social gatherings are an important part they're definitely an important piece in the fabric of of texas culture one of the places trying to preserve and keep alive these texas dance halls there is a foundation the Texas Dance Hall Preservation Foundation. Texas Dance Hall Preservation is dedicated to supporting preservation of dance halls across the state. We've just launched their Dance Hall Relief Fund to try to help these halls that have been shut down for so many months bridge themselves to when they're able to reopen again. Um, We're hoping that we can rely on Texans to kind of chip in and help us support them through this incredible time that they, um, a lot of them had saved up and prepared for a rainy day, but the rainy day has lasted for months. TDHP is not taking any of these donations. We're, we're turning them right back out to all the halls. All of it is going back to them. So we're hoping we can raise as much as we possibly can to make a meaningful difference to them. Their website is texasdancehall.org. One of the things on their website that they say, I just wanted to read this, this clip about really their mission statement. And it says, Texas dance halls are about family history, romance, and a way of life. Dance halls are where generations of Texans have played and listened to some of the best music made in America. At a dance hall, you can fall in love and then teach your children and grandchildren to dance. 
catch up with friends and neighbors, welcome newcomers, and create the social ties that bind our towns and our state together. Come on out and see for yourself what makes a historic dance hall one of the most Texas things there is. I just thought that was a pretty good statement for really what we wanted to discuss tonight and bring attention to for people. Yeah, because, you know, the social piece is huge and that's what we're missing and really craving right now. You know, however many months into this we are is just not being able to do that sort of thing and missing out on seeing people and going out with friends to see, you know, the artists we like perform live. Well, you and I had talked about obviously some of the ones that that are still open and or potentially struggling, but we did want to touch on uh, one in particular that is, is historic for another reason, but uh, the Armadillo World Headquarters in Austin. Yeah, and I am sad that I never got to go there. I mean, its heyday was when I was still too young to go to a bar, mainly the 70s, obviously. But that was kind of ground zero for the whole outlaw country movement and in Austin. And I, I honestly, my personal opinion is if there had not been Armadillo World Headquarters, there never would have been Austin City Limits and everything that's come from that, you know? Yeah. Everybody who talks about it, who played there, who experienced being a part of uh, the Armadillo have talked about what uh, a unique and joyful experience it was to play there. And it wasn't just country music. It was rock and R and B and blues and soul James Brown and, and others that played at the Armadillo world headquarters and made it what it is. But I think it's most famous in Texas for bringing to light Willie Nelson and, and letting him be free to really explore those more hippie roots and growing that long hair out and having the guys that, that came in wearing the Stetsons and the pointed boots sit right down next to the guys wearing the sandals and the long haired hippie look and being able to enjoy the same show. Yeah. And you make a good point. It really was not only a country venue. And, and as a matter of fact, what I personally tend to associate with Armadillo World Headquarters is there's a Frank Zappa live album. And yeah. there's my favorite Frank. I'm not a huge Frank Zappa fan, but the song I do enjoy by him the most is Muffin Man the song he did with Captain Beefheart. And at the end of it, and they used to play it on the radio in Austin all the time. He says, good night, Austin, Texas, wherever you are. <laughs> because <laughs> obviously the crowd was not necessarily there entirely. They were kind of floating above the venue. Thanks. Thank you very much for coming to the concert tonight. Hope you enjoyed it. Good night, Austin, Texas, wherever you are. That's so pretty great. I just love anytime I hear that, it just always makes me think of Armadillo World Headquarters. That's funny. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it was such a big part of the fabric of everything that's grown up and around Austin and that mystique about keeping Austin weird and, and everything else. So it just all kind of grew from there. Yeah. And Austin, you know, you we've talked we talked the last episode about the uh Willie Fourth of July picnic, and obviously you're a huge role in the formation of that. That's right. My, I was, I was incredibly instrumental in that. Yes, Let's you, not were a that. you were a seminal part. <laughs> that used to be in Dripping Springs or yeah. Spicewood or in the Austin area. It always was either in or near Austin. You've got that coming from there. But even from that general area, we'll talk in more detail, like obviously about places like Broken Spoke, which is in Austin. Right down the road from there, I grew up in San Marcos, which is about half hour south of Austin. And Cheatham Street Warehouse was the big honky-tonk-ish place in San Marcos. Texas definitely is a unique place musically. And Cheatham Street is and has been kind of the, the waver of that flag for a long time. Down by the railroad tracks in San Marcos, 
stands a misshapen sheet metal warehouse, the kind of place that says, come as you are. And behind its ragtag exterior is a rich history of musicians that found their voice inside these doors. Old rooms like this, old stages like that, old stories that people tell about these places, they need to be preserved. Central Texas has a lot of those types of venues, but the whole state really does. Yeah, the hill country itself. If I could pick up and move, I would go back down there. I would go to New Braunfels and that's where I would live. And it's the epicenter of the music that I enjoy, which we do want to make clear this isn't really a, a music podcast. It's not really a country music podcast. It just so happens that the first couple of episodes that we have are, are really kind of focused around those. They just, uh, unfortunately, Billy Joe's passing really kind of led us into this topic as well. But a lot of these places, is certainly cater to that type of music, but definitely have more than that going on for it. For instance, you talked about uh, Cheatham Street Warehouse. I mean, it was really where George Strait got his start. you got to have an ace in the hole A little secret that nobody knows Life is a gamble game we all play but you need to save something for any day yeah i mean when i was a kid my parents would go there and then in college i briefly lived across the street from there so i would go to sleep at night and hear the music coming from in there uh, i went there periodically you know they not only would have country bands there but they'd even have i remember one time in particular this would have been i think 88 there was a cover band playing led zeppelin songs that night they're a mental tourist i don't know why i remember the name of the band but i just and there was literally about four of us sitting there watching them play and i just remember being so excited that they were playing obscure zeppelin like the rover yeah. Oh my God, I know this song, but it's not a hit. They're playing this and I'm hearing it and they're terrible, but I love it. <laughs> the longtime owner of Cheatham Street was a man named Kent Finley and he had a passion for all kinds of music. So while it obviously he was one of the people that was in George Strait's band when he made his first foray to Nashville, when they drove 12 hours, 18 hours, whatever it is to get to Nashville, they did it in his van. That was a big deal. And they didn't call it Cheatham Street Warehouse, just to be cute. It was a sheet metal building next yeah. to a railroad track. It is not in any sense of the word, any sort of a fancy elaborate venue. It's no, like a bar. No, not at all. And to, to continue on, I mean, the, the Tuesday night show there, the Tuesday night songwriter show, has been a staple for going, almost 40 years at this point. And the current owner of the venue, Randy Rogers, continues that type of tradition and still respects the the music that came out of there for sure. Now, does his band ever play there since he owns the place? It's kind of small for his... Yeah, um, they have. More, not, not necessarily the Randy Rogers band, but Randy Rogers Acoustic for sure. Randy Rogers and Wade Bowen have done shows there. Their uh, Hold My Beer and Watch This Tour have played there for sure. Do you think the Bird Dogs have ever played there? Still ski on the week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shout out to George Dunham of KTC yeah. Ticket. Um, oh, a little, a little, little visit from from the from the Devinator there. I like it. This is where I will fart. Yeah, the kids like that. Yeah. <laughs> I love when venues like that are owned by someone who is a musician. I mean, and just thinking of the ticket made me think of this, but Twilight Lounge. Yeah. in Deep Ellum, which also has an, a location in Fort Worth now, owned by 
you know, Danny Bayless from the ticket, but who's also in been in a million bands and currently bastards of soul. Whenever you have a musician who owns a venue that almost adds another level of not even authenticity, but just, you know, that they care about what, yeah, they care about the music. They care about the vibe and they want to continue to promote what they enjoy. And that's, that's certainly a big part of it for sure. The other place that was very near where I grew up, uh, because you mentioned New Braunfels and New Braunfels is probably about 15 miles south of San Marcos. And in between New Braunfels and San Marcos, really just north of New Braunfels is a little tiny town called Green, spelled G-R-U-E-N-E. And that's home of the legendary Green Hall, possibly the single most revered honky tonk or country venue in the state. It proclaims itself to be the oldest dance hall in the state of Texas. It's on the banks of the Guadalupe River. The great thing about Green Hall, I mean, it is to Texas, it is what the Ryman Auditorium is to country music in general. Green Hall is to Texas artists. And to be able to play Green Hall and sell it out and pack that on a summer night, there's many of artists that will tell you that that's their greatest thrill is to play at Green Hall and pack that place because the people that go there absolutely love live music. They love the the atmosphere. They love where it's located on the river. You can get off the river, walk up the slope and be enjoying the music. And it is so cool because it is a false front. It is just a false front and the sides are open because that's the way that the old dance halls used to be. They they, they would get so hot. They they really just have yeah, a false front. This is front. free air conditioner. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was built back in the 1800s originally and it's so great, but it has been the scene of various movies have been filmed there. There have been live albums recorded there. It is really the the mother church for Texas would be Green Hall. Green Hall has become a famous venue for Texas country music. Artists such as George Strait, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Lyle Lovett, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Garth Brooks, Jerry Lee Lewis, Charlie Robinson, and Jerry Jeff Walker have all graced this historic stage. In fact, the king of country music himself, Mr. George Strait, had his photos for his first album taken here at the hall. Yeah, and what's great about it is like you mentioned, you know, you could go down, go tubing on the river uh, all day and then go see a show that night. It's a great place to spend a weekend, all the B&Bs in the area and stuff. But there's been a lot of bands that an artist that have recorded live records at Green Hall. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the old 97s live album may have been recorded there. Hello, everybody. All right. This song is dedicated to all y'all right up front here. seen the ZZ Top documentary? Yes. They, yeah. Great documentary that is recorded at Green Hall. Like they, yeah. they get together and jam. There's nobody there. It's, and yeah, it's just, it was so great. It yeah. was. They're just sitting in there, but it also shows that false front. They did a really cool job. And the other thing about Green, the little town of Green, is that the water tower stands right above the, the dance hall. It's right next to the Gristmill restaurant, which is a fantastic place to eat. There's the nice little shopping downtown center of this little, again, little green. My favorite coffee mug is a green coffee house. Antiques. If you like antiques, boy, that is the area for you. You did a lot of antiquing right there for sure. That's how you get the wife to go with you, right? It's like, 
let's go to green. We'll go look at antiques. Yeah, we'll go look at <laughs> antiques. That's right. If I could move anywhere, that is exactly where I want to live is right there in green. It's so beautiful. It's so great. And to be right next to Green Hall and be able to enjoy it anytime I wanted, that would be where I would go. And not too far from Green, a little further south, when you get down to San Antonio, you remember on the SAT where you'd have a word and then they'd have the two colons and then there'd be another word. And it's like, this is to this as this is to that. Well, you know, Green is to New Braunfels as Helotus is to San Antonio. Helotus is the home of Floor not floors, but floor country store, John T. Floor. Well, it's, but it is floors with an apostrophe S because it's his. Uh, it look is, at the sign. But I, but, but look I at the think, sign, brother. Okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. But what's great about that place is uh, my ex-wife, her best friend, she lives like down the block walking distance from Floor's country store. And that is very similar to Green Hall, but it, it's got a lot bigger outdoor kind of, there's, there's like an yeah. outdoor venue and the indoor, you know, and they saw Dwight Yoakam there once. It was like, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool place. John T. Floor was manager of the Senate Antonio's Majestic Theater in 1945. He purchased land in Helotus and built a store and dance hall at this site in 1946. Floor featured country music acts including Bob Wills, Patsy Cline, Hank Williams, Kitty Wells, and Elvis Presley. Residents came from nearby communities for regular shows. Well, a throwback to that first episode of Possible Deniability, and if you'll remember, I talked about my dad, his relationship with Willie Nelson, and he would follow the band around and things like that. And again, one of the precursors to the 4th of July picnic that Willie had is family lore here. I have nothing to back this up other than just what was said. But again, my dad toured around with, or just, I shouldn't say toured around, but, but followed Willie around to various shows. And and one night in, it was either 68 or 69, they were at Floor's Country Store for a July 4th show. And after the show, they're sitting around, they're drinking some beers. It's the band, it's my dad, it's my mom. She was friends with the drummer, Paul English. They're just sitting around and my dad looks over at Willie and goes, you know, we should do this every year. He said, what's that? And he said, we should get together on July 4th and have a show and that's just one of the things that just kind of jump-started the whole 4th of July picnic. Willie Nelson's version of a 4th of July picnic was played out in a new location, the Texas Hills west of Austin. Nelson himself opened the event on a country club he purchased for a quarter of a million dollars. Whiskey River take my mind Close to 30,000 were packed beneath the stage on what was once fairways, sand traps, and greens. The music lovers crowded the small country roads into the site. Once inside, they were literally elbow to elbow. And that Genesis was at Floor's Country Store. And Willie acknowledged that by bringing you on stage. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and doing, yes, another callback, the, the redneck <laughs> Simba right there. So. We almost need to work in a reference to that in every episode. Yeah, redneck Simba. <laughs> has to be referenced oh. in every episode. <laughs> but the thing I like about floors is the signage outside. It's just, there's some such crazy signage, you know, like all yeah. the little wooden signs hanging off other wooden signs. And it's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. The, the signs that you talk about in the cafe, and I don't know if you've ever eaten there, but um Pretty decent little food for sure. I've seen some pretty big shows at Floors. I've had a lot of good time. Have you ever floors. been to Corny Val? I don't think so. That's the annual corn festival in Helotus because Helotus is Spanish for corn. For corn, sure. No, no, <laughs> I have not. I don't guess. 
Hey, I don't guess I've done that. So I feel like I'm See, missing it's, out. It's funny that we almost have a whole other show we could do on Texas festivals because when I was a kid, the big thing in San Marcos was this thing called Chilimpiad. They come from all over Texas to San Marcos, Mecca for the annual Chilimpiad, to determine who's been blessed by the chili gods this year. And mind you, even though this is only the chili cooking championship of Texas, Winning it is virtual assurance of the world championship. You know, obviously, Terlingua has the internationally known chili cook-off. I mean, there's so many of West Fest. Every town, almost, it seems like, has some sort of an annual thing like that. I have to apologize. I just looked at the website. So while it is live at Floors, and everything says Floors Country Store, you're right. I, In my head, the signs outside say Floors with the apostrophe, but the signs don't. It just says floor country store. You're absolutely Which, right. You're right. right. It should be. I think the reason I knew it was because it struck me as being so odd that it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. floor country store. It sure does. And then the world's best homemade tamales. Willie Nelson every Saturday night. Yeah. World's that's, that's best homemade bread. Willie yeah. every, every Saturday night. Like that's Willie, right. I mean, that may have been accurate like 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like no, that's that's your that's dad right. Yeah. Was like, yes. Uh, the, yeah, they, they haven't updated the signage, but you're right. Those those are, those boards are the best. Cafe and honky tonk. <laughs> yep, that's awesome. Now, another distinction we probably should make is, you know, we've the, the places we've talked about are probably more your traditional quote unquote dance halls because they're live music venues that have a space for dancing, and most of the, especially the country artists that play those venues, typically will play things where people will want to dance. But you also have what are really more almost kind of the superstore versions of these places, uh, and I was thinking. Because we were in San Antonio, the one that immediately came to mind was Midnight Rodeo. Sure. But more internationally known would be obviously Gillies, which currently is in Dallas, but originated and was probably at its peak when it was in Houston during the urban cowboy days. You've got Billy Bob's in Fort Worth. <laughs> so those are like really almost gigantic nightclubs. And a lot of them have, is there a term for those racetrack type dance floors that basically sure. you're two-step? It's like a NASCAR. Yeah, they're, yeah. Yeah, everybody's going in a circle and and <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah. Now, I don't know if there is a term for it. I'm not that big of a dancer, but I know exactly what you're talking about. First time I great. saw that, I'm like, what is this? Like, are they racing? Are they dancing? They're turning <laughs> left. They're turning left. That is another topic for the future. We're going to just talk about turning left. It's going to be yeah, great. Because what, you've, what we've talked about off air, and this is really you kind of coined the term, is that we've inadvertently, just based on the topics we're bantying about uh, possibly covering, realized we might be the unofficial version of Texas Monthly, the podcast. <laughs> so Texas Coming Monthly, soon. if you are looking, yes. Yeah, yes. that's right. Coming we're, soon, we're we'll talk to... about barbecue and uh, we'll talk about some of the great cities of the state of Texas. Yeah, we're going yep. to visit all that. Yep. The uh, the name of the podcast may prove to be completely irrelevant as we are <laughs> becoming so Texas-centric. But That's right. You talked about Gillies and the, the funny thing about Gillies and Pasadena and Houston and that oil town, but it's obviously most famous for being a part of that urban cowboy boom. That's what made Gillies so big was urban cowboy. Gillies honk dog was the biggest at that time in the world. 
Gillies was like a whole culture of people with all the regulars that were there. Yeah, I was a Gilly rat. I was in there pretty much every night. It was like family. We had each other's backs. There's not a day that goes by that I do not think of Gillies and how it changed my life. The urban cowboy. Urban cowboy. cowboy. I met at Gillies. It was like a second home. They based this movie off of me. Taking the urban cowboy concept to the masses was going to produce an explosion. This incredible a club of yours. They're fixing to do a movie, I think, out of the club. The word around town got very hot. John was, I think, next to Muhammad Ali, the most recognized person on the planet. They're trying to uh, persuade John Travolta to play the lead part. You can't play country. Can this city guy do this or not? Probably my favorite film experience to, to do as an actor. It became something entirely different when that movie came out. Gilly smiles about the financial success of the club. He and his partner, Cryer, are sitting on a multi-million dollar gold mine. Hollywood coming into that club in 1979. It was beginning then. It was like a nosedive in an airplane. Yeah, and it's kind of the chicken and the egg thing because obviously without Gillies and without how big it had gotten at that point, there probably wouldn't have been an Urban Cowboy, but Urban Cowboy really kind of supercharged the success of Gillies after that. I mean, I remember because that was 1980. So I was entering high school at that point. I was probably, you know, eighth, ninth grade. And uh, there really was a noticeable change. Like even people who weren't, you know, quote unquote, back then we called them kickers, I guess, short for shit kickers. There was, you know, the country kids, the kids that were, you know, dipping snuff and wearing boots every day and stuff were in FFA. Those were the quote unquote kickers. Well, they existed before Urban Cowboy, but after Urban Cowboy, you had people posing as kickers Absolutely. and everybody. I even I got one of the belts with your name on the back of it with the letter. Oh the, my the, God. Are you telling me that there's a belt out there that says bland on it? No, it says it probably said Bobby. Dang it, Bobby. Because back then I that's <gasps> what yeah. Oh, this you know. is gold. Well, I had that. I got the cowboy hat, got the love you blue belt buckle, the whole nine yards. But it really was a thing. I mean, a lot of kids, it just became the thing to do. Like Urban Cowboy had a really huge cultural influence on people even at that age. Well, yeah. And I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, you have John Travolta who helped continue the, the fad of disco with Saturday Night Fever. And then you have him reinvent country music with Urban Cowboy. So And he did the that, whole 50s thing with Grease. No, you're right. I didn't tie that in, but you're right. That's impressive to bring back the, that 50s music. But well, he did the hand job, disco, yeah. and two-step. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And was and was brilliant at all of it, frankly. I mean, yeah. that's... Who could pull off all three of those? Seriously. I mean, Hugh Jackman, maybe? I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Hugh Jackman, sure. But no, He's that's... kind of modern-day yeah. Travolta, right? Absolutely changed the face of the culture of America with these movies and moved the zeitgeist along with these movies and, and what they represented. Yeah. It's like you said, Gillies. I mean, it was just really a place for those guys that worked at the refineries to go get their yayas. They, you know, work those long, brutal shifts and they go and that Friday, Saturday night, Gillies was the place and it was huge. I huge. mean, 
square footage wise, the one in Houston, at least it was massive. And you had the mechanical bull and all. it really kind of almost was a transition or a revolution from the old school, small dance halls into this big mega venue. Well, then, then that led to the birth of the world's largest honky tonk, as you talked about, which is Billy Bob's in Fort Indeed. Worth. For over 30 years, people have come from all over the world to check out Billy Bob's to listen to little live country music. But you might be surprised at everything Billy Bob's has to offer. Billy Bob's Texas doesn't take its title of being the world's largest honky-tonk lightly. With 100,000 square feet of space, over a dozen bars, and room for 6,000 of your closest friends, Billy Bob's is big. So big, it needs its own information booth. Billy Bob's opened in 1981. Uh, we've been here for over 30 years or so, and uh, we're the world's largest honky-tonk. It's part of the history of Texas, and especially Fort Worth and the Fort Worth Stockyards that has uh, turned the stockyards into what it is today, and uh, I promise there's no other place out there like it. Billy Bob's still builds itself as the world's largest honky-tonk, and frankly, I'm sure that it is. I mean, it's got a bull riding rodeo, a bull riding arena <laughs> inside the complex. I mean, that's not a normal thing. So, And it's right there in the stockyards, right? Right. Yeah, just on the edge of the stockyards. Obviously, country is their bread and butter, but they've had rock shows there. I think Cheap Tricks played there. Some other oh, bands have played there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, ZZ Top has played there and others. But one of the cool things about going to Billy Bob's is all the handprints on the wall. So all the big artists from the time that they started and I want to say what 81 or 82 really in the wake of that urban cowboy success they really uh, took advantage of that but They've got handprints on the walls and and pictures, and it's a great place to go. I, it's it's not one of my favorite places to go see a show, unfortunately, just because the tables, when you're in the tables down by the stages, they don't let you stand. If you want to stand up and, and enjoy the show, you have to be in the general admission area. And so there's a lot, of, a lot of bands that I like to go see that really try to get the crowd pumped up. But when you're sitting in those chairs, you're sitting down there, <laughs> They just, it's kind of like, you'll, you'll have bouncers come around. You can't stand up. And I remember trying to, I was at a Pat Green show there one time and everybody tried to stand up and these guys kept coming around trying to get everybody to stop. And we didn't, we just kept standing the entire night. So there's those venues and there's also, you know, every town, every significant size town in Texas has one at least that's semi notable uh, or more. Um, you know, we talked about Gillies having moved to Dallas, but uh, one of the more infamous places in Dallas probably is Adair's, which is uh, in Deep Ellum. Adair's Saloon. It is a hole in the wall and you go in and kind of their shtick from, from the beginning when it, when it first opened was uh, being able to get a marker and write on the wall and and write on the wall and it's just it is grungy and dirty but it is one of the best hamburgers i've ever had in my entire life yeah. you stole my thunder there i was gonna say the only time i've been to adairs i went to see ryan's bob dylan cover band i think it was the first night my wife and i we had gone to the twilight lounge and it, not too long after that opened and so we walked a couple blocks down to adairs to see ryan's and somebody was telling us man you got to have the burger at adairs you 
you got to have the burger. And I'd had a, a temptress for the first time and it kind of <laughs> knocked me on my butt. So I was getting pretty hungry and kind of out of it. All I remember about Adair's was that burger. That burger That's, was it's, so it's good. It's the best. It's the best. I mean, when I think about it, just a greasy hole in the wall burger, the Adair's burger is the way to go. Comes with a jalapeno stuck on top. The French fries are great because the oil probably hasn't been changed in 25 years. When I first got into this Texas music scene that I enjoy, one of the first things that I ever did, I was on Yahoo Groups, right? You remember? Oh yeah, I remember Yahoo, that. Yahoo Groups. And I was pre in a group. Pre-Facebook. Pre-Facebook and really before MySpace and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, it was groups were the way to, to communicate and it was basically emails or like a message online board. chat rooms. Yeah, like a message board. And I was in this group of people and it was this Texas music group. And every year at Christmas time, they would have the Adair's Christmas party. And all of these people that I had just found basically would go and play at Adair's. And I didn't know a soul. And I volunteered because I was like, well, I don't want to show up because I don't know anybody. So I volunteered to work the door. So the very first experience I had going to these things was I showed up and worked the door of the Adair's Saloon Christmas party. It's like you say, these are the types of venues where people do have those kinds of meetups. It's really conducive to that social gathering. Particularly in Dallas, there was a place called the Three Teardrops Tavern, which was a big room for that type of gathering where everybody just kind of met and, and meshed. Unfortunately, it's rest in peace, three teardrops. Well, at least you were there before the next three teardrops falls. So that was good. Wow. I really appreciate your Johnny Rodriguez call there. Freddie Fender. And Freddie Fender. Freddie Fender. Yeah. Get your Montreal yeah. right. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. You know what? That's fair. David, tell us a little bit more about some of the venues that maybe are not as widely known and in some of these outposts like Lubbock or Waco or wherever, you know, some of the other places outside the huge metropolitan area. I mean, that was, that's the thing. I think we want to draw attention to some of the, the music venues that are available when, when you're able to get out there. So, you know, we'll talk about, you mentioned the Broken Spoke in Austin, very old, very famous dance hall. We talked about eight airs. Uh, if you're in Fort Worth, the White Elephant Saloon, which is in the stockyards, they say that the White Elephant Saloon could have been visited by Billy the Kid. It's been there that long. He was known to have stopped in Fort Worth and they can't prove that he was there, but they do say that Billy the Kid stopped in at the White Elephant Saloon. He must have got caught. Sure, yeah, exactly. That's fair. I wonder what the drinking age was back in the 1800s. I'm going to say 12. No <laughs> idea. Um, Did they even have one? Probably not, no. You go down south, Blaine's Pub in San Angelo. It's a kind of a mecca for people in this Texas country music scene to go play at Blaine's and just some of the stories that have come out of that place. You mentioned Lubbock. There's the Blue Light. There's in Houston, McGonagall's Mucky Duck, which is a great name, by the way. It holds maybe, I don't know, 75 people. Very intimate room, but they do dinner service there as well. So you can eat and watch a show. Really cool place to go. Outside of Houston is a place called Dosido in the Woodlands. And that place is one of the coolest places I have ever seen a show. It is an old 1800s barn from Kentucky. They moved it down to the Woodlands, Timber by timber and rebuilt it. And it has some of the best sound I have ever heard. It is also open for brunch and their coffee is fantastic. They'll do a dinner show. There's not a bad seat in the house. I think it holds like 150 maybe, but there's not a bad seat. And because of that old wood, 
The sound is some of the best you will ever hear. It is so cool. One of my favorite artists of all times is Steve Warner. And I got to see a solo acoustic show with him at Dosi Do, and it blew me away. That's awesome. I was going to ask who you saw there. For some reason, I was going to guess R.E.K., but I guess... Uh... No, no, not Robert Earl, but uh, but yeah, Steve Warner. Steve Warner is my favorite artist of all time. It just has been since oh. I was a kid. Wow. The guy can play the guitar as well as anyone you can name. And Have has you ever written... gotten a chance to meet him and like, talk to him and stuff? I have. There's some funny stories about that that maybe we'll talk about on another episode. Did um, you Chris my, Farley out? One of my most embarrassing moments is when I met him for the first time. And then years later, I did a phone interview with him and I told him about meeting him for the first time. <laughs> and he laughed so much because I told him the embarrassing story. But you know, we also talked about just some of the more iconic names. And really, there may not be a more iconic name than if I just say Lukenbach. Let's go to Lukenbach, Texas. This successful life we're living Got us feuding like the Hatfields and McCoys Between Hank Williams' pain songs And Newberry's train songs And blue eyes crying in the rain Out of Luke and Bach, Texas Ain't nobody feeling no pain yeah. And that's really all you have to say. I don't have to say anything else. It's like Cher or Madonna. I just say Lukenbach and everybody knows. And the tiny little town with the post office and the dance hall. And that's it. The Lukenbach dance hall. You've got to go there. It's a town. It's a venue. It's a post office. I actually got to go there for the first time. My wife and I last summer, we uh, took a weekend down to Fredericksburg and went to Lukenbach one day and it was really hot. It was during the summer. So, uh, and it's pretty dusty and you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere and, it's, and there's this grove over trees and then there's just you've got this outdoor stage and i'll tell you one thing bring cash if you're gonna yeah. go to luke and Bob, yeah. don't bring think cash. you're gonna get by with a credit card because they don't roll that way and that's the funny part too like you know we mentioned obviously what really kick-started this was billy joe shaver but another one of those honky-tonk heroes that passed recently was jerry jeff walker who yes. recorded his seminal record viva terlingua at luke and Bob. and most people think oh he must have recorded it in terlingua but really it was because there was a sticker on the door Viva Terlingua that album is awesome my dad had that 8 track and to this day my favorite country song of all time is still London Homesick Blues I wanna go Even though Jerry oh. Jeff didn't sing that, that, that little Jerry P. Nunn action. Jerry P. Nunn. Yeah, that's that song is awesome. Up against the wall, redneck mother is awesome. Up against the wall, redneck mother. Mother who has raised the son so well. He's
That's just that's all. Ray that's Wiley Hubbardness. Ray Wiley Hubbard. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's it's, that it's, there's all these other guys, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jerry Jeff Walker was such a great songwriter, but the ones that you just named, he didn't write. You know, when you talk about some of the other hits that he had, he was great for promoting his friends and kind of worked out for everybody. It's funny because his biggest hit was better known by other artists. Uh, Mr. Bojangles was a bigger hit for you know Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and Sammy Davis Jr. Mr. Bojangles. Mr. Bojangles Mr. Bojangles Lord, he could dance as opposed to Jerry Jeff Walker. And then his biggest album, the guys that were the biggest songs from it were, you know, Ray Wiley Hubbard and Gary P. Nunn. It's, it's just kind yeah. of a weird thing. Yeah. I, there was a story I heard one time about him playing in a bar and starting to sing Mr. Bojangles. And somebody said, why are you covering that in words song? That was a stop down, yeah, <laughs> for many, many reasons. But yeah, I mean, he was great. That was recorded at Lukenbach, so try to check that out. Didn't you hear, was it Was it on the ticket? I can't remember where I heard a story about that song right after he died where he was, I think it may have been when Pat Green or somebody was on Bands of Your Life and they were talking about they were with Jerry Jeff and there was a busker or some homeless guy or something just on the street corner playing yeah. Mr. Bojangles. Todd and Snyder. Staggering back from the hotel and, and Jerry yeah. Jeff, like all the money he had on him all and it the was money he had in his pocket yeah that was more than a that's little a story bit. about todd snyder they were in san antonio and uh it just stumbled out of a bar and man sitting there just sitting on the ground just playing mr bojangles and they both listened to it and todd was like am i supposed to look over and tell this guy that he's singing <laughs> mr bojangles to the man who wrote it or just let it go and he decided that if Jerry Jeff wanted him to know, he would have told him, but he said he took out a water cache and stuck it in the hat and kept walking. And then Todd Schneider looks at him and when they get down the road a little bit and Todd Schneider says, this is one of the coolest things that's ever happened in my life. And Jerry Jeff looks over at him and goes, pretty boring life. I can't imagine if I was Jerry Jeff, that would have just been so bizarre to me. Like, wow, this is really weird that this is happening. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's a weird feeling. There's other venues that we haven't covered yet that are notable. Devil's Backbone Tavern, for example, in going back sure. to the Hill Country in Central Texas. Yeah. It's a big one. What's the name of the town that they claim that's in? Because it really, honestly, it's kind of it's just, really on, just the on the side of the road. But everybody has to have a mail stop, right? So this one is Fisher, Texas, currently owned by Robin Ludwig. I believe, who is the sister to Bruce Robinson. There's a lot of connections between a lot of these people. Well, like you were talking about earlier, you know, you have those those artists that really just want to find that venue that they that they love and they want to keep promoting it. And I think that's a, a very similar type deal. They just happen to do that exact same thing. One of my favorite venues where I've seen countless shows is the Sons of Herman Hall in Dallas. You mentioned yep. that you had been there for a show. It wasn't a country show. I saw Nico Case, who I guess she's kind of an indie Americana yeah, indie chantreuse. Indie, yeah. Yeah, so I saw her there. It was a great venue, and that's a venue where the artist has to navigate their way through the crowd to the stage because the stage is in this corner and there's no doors leading directly to the stage. So you have to get through the crowd to go up to the stage. And you know, I'm a big lummox blocking the way, obviously, without realizing it. And so I feel this gentle hand on my shoulder. And before I realized who it was, I saw her walking past, you know, and I'm like, I got touched by touched okay. by greatness right there. So that's my big sons of Herman Hall story but it's a it's a cool venue the wood floor 
score, the sound, the acoustics are really good there. Sons of Herman is is so cool because it's got a great history. It, it's been open for 110 years or something like that now. But one of the cool things about it is in the basement of the Sons of Herman Hall, there is a bowling alley. They were refinishing the floors one time. There's a guy that I like. His name is Scott Miller. We are not related. He used to front a band called the V-Roys, which was on Steve Earle's label. And then he went out solo and he was touring and I was doing interviews. I talked about in the last episode that uh, I was a writer for a website while I was doing an interview with Scott Miller and we went into the basement and we're in the bowling alley of Sons of Herman one night and hung out down there. And that was one of the coolest things. But I always feel bad for the artists that are playing at Sons of Herman because it's on the second floor and they have to park around the side of the building and then lug their equipment straight up these stairs that are steep. And I mean, they're carrying all this heavy equipment and I've lugged some amps up and down those stairs for some of my friends before. It's harrowing. Is that one owned by a notable country uh, music It's actually owned, I believe, by the actual Sons of Herman. So that's like an organization like um, the- JCs. Yeah, the JCs or one of those, but it's uh, the Sons of Herman. The uh, Shriners, I think is- yeah, Shriner. That's what I was trying you to You were making of, the yeah. international Fez gesture. That's with right. With the head. Yeah. No one could see that, but that's <laughs> exactly what I was trying to do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or maybe I was just trying to rub my bald head. I don't know, but yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I knew what you no, were going. It's the, yeah. It's the Order of the Sons of Herman, I believe. And that's been there for like more than a hundred years. And it's actually a membership driven deal. And, and so that was the thing back in like the twenties and thirties and forties, they used that upper room, which is now the hall and they used it for music and things, but they used it for like their gatherings. The ground floor is a bar and uh, bathrooms and things like that, but the bar is in there. But then in the basement is the bowling alley and that was where people could sign up for their membership and they would just go to the Sons of Herman and go bowl or go drink a beer or go and have their their Sunday parties and things like that. And that's just what it was. It was a gathering place like a lot of these places started. How many lanes did they have down there? Four or six, I don't remember. But yeah, it was. they were refinishing the the wood floors because it had been abandoned for a while. They hadn't used the bowling alley in, in years and they were going to to refinish them and, and bring them back to life and, and reestablish that. It's very cool. Bowling alleys are cool. I want yeah. a bowling alley in my house or in my basement. I want a basement. I don't have a basement though. Yeah, I don't have basements here in Texas really. You that's a yeah. that's a not a not Thanks a, a lot red dirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh gosh. I think there are other places I'm sure that we've missed. And if people are screaming into their phones right now, listening, why didn't you mention this one? Yeah. Like, is there another one that we could have mentioned? Is there, what's your favorite place that maybe we didn't talk about? Hit us up on Twitter. And we do have an email address, pausedeny at gmail.com. So you could hit us on Twitter, which is also at pausedeny, but we do have that email address as well. So that would be good. We could start looking at people back and discussing that briefly from the previous episode. Yeah, I mean, if there's a place that we've missed or something that we should have shined a light on, definitely let us know. I know that there are other dance halls out there that are included in the historic preservation that we were talking about. And I did want to mention it again, the Dance Hall Preservation Society. If you go to texasdancehall.org, you can make a donation. These places are struggling right now. There are a lot of places that aren't making money, that aren't open for business, that aren't going to continue to be open 
if we don't give some support. And so there is a donate button there. It's the Texas Dance Hall Relief Fund. And I hope that uh, if you get an opportunity, go make a donation and try to save some of these places that, that really could use our help. That's really the whole reason we wanted to cover this topic to begin with, in addition to the um, passing of Billy Joe Shaver, was that we really wanted to boost up and save these venues that are at risk with uh, having had to have been closed for so long now. Yeah, let's hope that uh, something is coming down the pipe that'll get us back to a somewhat new normal maybe and and let us get back out there to enjoy these venues and maybe we'll see you down the road and have a live show at one of these sometime. Yeah, we could re- we could record live at one of them or have a meetup or something. I mean, that would be fun. I would enjoy that. And you're That'd the draw. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get anybody to come out to a Bend and Scoop thing, but this, because you're involved, <laughs> that's the whole reason I broke you into doing a podcast. You're likable. I'm me, okay? So I'm not a draw. You're a draw. You're the brains behind this, sir. Brains? Eh. You're overselling. Brains and the looks, for sure. Oh, now you're just lying. So, <laughs> <laughs> all well, right. Bob, well, this it, was fun. It, it has been fun. And thanks for you know, getting it together and letting us talk about these. This is some good stuff. Where can people find you on Twitter. They can find me at Lukewarm Tallboy. They can find this show at Pause Deny. They can find one of my other podcasts. I have several. Let's, so let's just do a quick run through here. We we have How Many, which you've been on before yep. that I do with Junior, Jesse, Gary, and Scott. That's at How Many Podcast. That's when we talk just general pop culture and ask, oh, how many great songs does this guy have? Or how many great movies does this guy have? That sort of thing. Then I have Ben and Scoop, which is my indie music fun time, fun house. That's at Ben Scoop. And this is one I really want to kind of hit on because I'm, I'm kind of running out of people participating in this and it's driven by people wanting to do it. It's called Assume the Juxtaposition, which really was kind of you and my screen test, for lack of a better term, for this podcast was when we did the Ted Lasso episode on great, Assume the Juxtaposition. Great episode, by the way, because it talks about a great subject. Just mentioning Ted Lasso risks a an extended tangent by Millerman here. But that podcast, folks, here's the concept. You're the host and I'm the guest. So you pick a topic, you take the microphone, you are at the wheel and we'll talk about whatever you want. So if you want to host an episode of Assume the Juxtaposition, you can email me at lukewarmtallboy at gmail.com or if you want to do it on Twitter, it's assumetjpod. Also, same as Instagram. All these handles I'm throwing out are the same on Instagram and Twitter because I wanted to make sure that was the case to eliminate confusion. And one other podcast I've kind of gotten involved with done by some friends of mine and I'm involved just as a a participant. It's called Campfire Songs and the Twitter handle there is at Songs Campfire. Basically, four guys get together, share three songs with each other, and talk about them. So that's it. And I've taken up way too much time. Millerman, how can people follow you on Twitter and Instagram? I can be found at Blind Nello on Twitter and on Instagram. Now is Blind Nello, I know you mentioned it's a uh, domino term. Is it a positive domino term? Is it like the royal flush of dominoes? What is Yeah, what is sort of. Yeah, you, yeah, Blind Nello. You bid Blind Nello. So if you bid your hand blind, which means that you're not going to look at your dominoes and you're bidding blind and your partner has to catch all your tricks. So it's either you win a lot of money or you lose a lot of money or points, I guess. Now we probably should do an episode on dominoes at some point or do we need to roll that into our gambling episode that we talked yeah, about I mean, that yeah, we're going to need to yeah. do? D- dominoes and gains and game gambling and, and betting and yeah, 
there's a there's another <laughs> so, there's another episode so we're talking about doing a barbecue episode we're talking about doing a gambling episode so we, we we're already kicking around topics for the future you know staying on brand with the unofficial texas monthly the podcast <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right and if you if you've got anything else you think we should discuss send it our beer? way we're maybe we're, beer we're willing yeah all right i mean lukewarm tall boy for yeah. sure but i think that episode we just have to drink during the episode like it's a, a virtual beer tasting i'm already realizing drinking during the episode may not be the best idea it's just okay I'm, right. I'm i'm not i don't think i'm at my peak right now which isn't very high to begin with i so. think this is this is peak bob right here this is peak bob. <laughs> <laughs> even though this is not a music show i'm gonna end it for me with the words that my dad ended his show every day This is Ramblin' Roy Miller reminding you to keep it country, and so long for now. Pausable Deniability is a production of Lukewarm Tallboy Studios. Aw, Mike.